everybody. Hello, welcome. How's it going? Hello. God, we thank you for today. Thank you for this opportunity for us to come together as your church, as your people, as brothers and sisters in Christ, to worship, to learn, and to apply, and to fellowship with one another. promise of heaven and the life with you, of wholeness, completeness, joy. We offer this time up to you. In Jesus' name, amen.
Welcome to Friends Church. You guys can be seated for just a minute. Um, I have a few announcements this morning. If you're a guest today, we really appreciate and are happy that you're here with us today. Um, There's a communication card that you can find in your bulletin, and if you wouldn't mind filling that out and dropping it in the offering basket when it passes later, that would be great. We would love to be able to add you to our email list so that you can um, find out about the things that are going on in the church. Um, This afternoon, after the 11 o'clock service, so around 1 o'clock, we're having a barbecue for anyone who volunteers here at the church, and that was going to be out in the 
outdoors today, but it's raining, so it's rescheduled to here. Um, we're having it here at 1 o'clock, so if you volunteer, please feel free to come back and be a part of the barbecue. We would love to thank you for everything that you do here at Friends Church. Um, another thing that's going on this month is Kids Day, and that's on June 25th. It's going to be from 11 to 3 at Pioneer Park, and we're really wanting to get the word out there, so um, make sure to tell your friends, and if you would like to volunteer, you can see Kathy Stacy. Um, after this service or email her during the week. We have a lot of different places where you could fill in and volunteer on that day, um, different sessions throughout the day. So we would love for you to be able to do that. And one other thing is this week, the 9th through 12th grade youth camp registration started. So we go to Globe Creek Camp every year. And this year we're going from July 31st to August 3rd. Like I said, that's 9th through 12th grade, and it's $75. And you can see me um, after this service, and I can get your students signed up. Or if you would like any more information, I'd love to share that with you. So we're about to dismiss the Kids to Kids Church. Kids can go, and we're going to stick around and worship for anyone who doesn't have any kids.
Good morning, everyone. How's everybody doing? I can always depend on some of you. Hey, you know, we need coffee in the morning. So full disclosure, I, I, I named the, uh, I, I titled the sermon, uh, he's got the whole world in his heart, but I couldn't find any, any pictures where Jesus had the whole world in his heart. So that's supposed to symbolize it as it has in his heart, and, uh, but uh, that's as close as I could get. But before we get kicked off this morning, let's go ahead and uh, take up the offering. So ushers, come on down front, and then let's, uh, let's, let's pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this, this morning. Um, thank you for each and every day. Thank you for all the gifts. Everything comes from you, God. Uh, you are the giver of everything. Everything that we can hope for in this life and in the next finds its, uh, its focus and its beginnings in you. And we ask that you bless the offering and make, sh- make us good stewards of it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're, we're going to move in. We're, we're in the New Testament now, as you guys know. Um, and we're still uh, doing this, our sermon as we go through the Bible, our sermon series as we go through the Bible. Um, and I was trying to figure out what to talk about this week. Um, and I had, I had a couple of ideas. And as we're bouncing some of these ideas around on Tuesday and then bouncing them again around on Wednesday, uh, some things came up that, that uh, pointed out that I need to do a little general housekeeping uh, uh, as we move, as, as we continue to move through the New Testament. And, 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 and that thing that came up was what the, the basic question was that I asked of people when it became obvious. Because in my dealings with a lot of my friends uh, 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 on Facebook and in person who I'm witnessing, witnessing to who are, who are not Christians... Uh, most of them uh, uh, who aren't Christians, of my friends anyway, also tend to be real progressively thinking. And you know what progressive means. They tend to, uh, uh, they tend to be uh, liberally minded uh, uh, politically. And, and even some of my friends who are Christians, who are from uh, uh, the progressive school of political thought, tend to view their Christianity through the lens of, of progressivism as opposed to vice versa, where we should view everything through the, through the cross and, and, and make our, 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 our minds up that way. But um, some things come up uh, during those discussions, um, and I'll give you the best example of it, is, uh, is homosexuality. This is the one that the touchstone thing that we're always talking about. And they will always throw back in my faith, well, if you're a, uh, my face, if you're a Christian, uh, you don't believe that stuff in the Old Testament. And I said, well, what do you mean I don't believe it? Of course I believe it. What do you, why, what? No, no, well, well, you don't obey the stuff in the Old Testament, do you? And they think they're trying to bait me in. And I know where they're going by this time because I've had this conversation several times. I said, you don't believe that stuff that's in the Old Testament. And I said, yes, of course I believe it. Well, you don't obey that stuff in the Old Testament. I said, well, what do you mean by that? Because I know where they're going. He said, well... You can't just say obey the Ten Commandments and not obey all the other stuff that's in there. You're, you're just picking and choosing. And, and in a way, he would be right. 
So we can't do that. And so the short answer is this. As Christians, what do we believe? What are we beholden to? What do we have to obey from the Old Testament? And the answer is nothing. The Ten Commandments? Nope. We don't obey the Ten Commandments by virtue of being part of the Old Covenant. Now when I say that... I have to explain a little bit further because I see several mouths open wondering what's going on. What am I talking about, Brian? What do you mean we don't have to obey the Ten Commandments? Well, nothing that is in the Mosaic Law, the Old Covenant, applies to me as a Gentile, that's us, in virtue of it being a part of the Mosaic Law. No command is incumbent upon me in being a part to, uh, 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 under the old covenant. And here's an analogy. You have laws in California, and you have laws in Alaska. There is nothing in the California law that applies to me living here in Alaska. Alaska has its own laws. California has its own laws. There's a statue in, in California against murder. At least I think there still is a law against California against murder. There is also a law, uh, uh, there just happens to be a law here in Alaska and in every other state in the nation against murder. Does that mean if I'm not in California, it's okay for me to kill somebody? No. But I'm not going to be prosecuted under the California law. I'm not a part of the state of California. I'm not a citizen of California. I'm a citizen of Alaska. Okay? Now, there were two parts to the law. There was the civil law, the ceremonial law, you know. Don't wear two different kinds of fabric. Don't eat bacon. Oh. <laughs> ah, bad law. Glad that went away. And then there was the other law. There was the moral law, right? The moral law. And then we see those things mostly laid out in the Ten Commandments. We got all those things. The fact of the matter is, we don't obey any of that old law. That's the old covenant. We are under the new covenant. Now, here's the deal. There happens to be the same laws, some of the same laws, at least the universal moral laws, that appear in both covenants, okay? We obey the laws from the new covenant. And some of those laws happen to be the same laws, okay? That's the difference, Every single one of those things that are in the Ten Commandments happen to also be in the New Testament. 
They're repeated with the exception of the Sabbath. And that's just changed from one day a week to all the time. So everything that you see in the Ten Commandments just happens to be in the New Testament as well. See, Jesus Christ came to fulfill the law. He came to say, okay, that part's done. Here's this new covenant I want to have with you. It's the covenant of grace. There are still obligations that you are still going to have to keep. So when my friend comes up to me and he says, well, you're picking and choosing from the Old Testament, I say, no, I don't have to pick and choose from the Old Testament. It just happens to be that thing that we're talking about, about how God feels about two people of the same sex being together. He says it's not optimal, and I can show you in the New Testament. Because I don't want to pick and choose from the Old Testament. Because guess what? I don't want to be under the Old Covenant. It was impossible to keep the law. And in fact, what we're going to find out when we talk today, it, it, it quite frankly is impossible to keep the, the laws that we have under the New Testament without God's strength. And that's why he had to come. We have to be able to walk in his spirit. So I hope that clears things up a little bit as we move in. But we're going to, I'm going to continue to go through this. I'm going to unpack this as we go on today, especially in, in lieu of events that we all got up and we read the horrible things that happened this morning in Orlando. We'll unpack that a little bit as well. But uh, you have this in, uh, as a reference in your bulletin too. And these are just some of the differences between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. And I think the conclusion is that we are very lucky not to be under the law anymore. So I'm going to read the parable of the Good Samaritan, guys. Uh, you can read along with me. I'll have it up here on the, on the slides as well. Or you can just sit back. Um, but I want to read, I'm going to read a lot of scripture today. Um, God put it in my heart, so I'm going to do it. Um, I'm, I'll read the parable of the Good Samaritan. Most of you are familiar with it, but I hopefully will, um, I will highlight some new things in it today. One day, an expert in the law stood up to test him, Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus looks at him in his, you know, Columbo tactic type of way. What is written in the law, Jesus replied. How do you read it? What does it say to you? Well, he said, uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself under the law, he asked Jesus, well, who is my neighbor? Jesus took up this question. He said, you know what? There was a man going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him, beat him, and he went away, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest, a Jewish priest, was going down the same road, but when he saw him, he passed on the other side. So, too, when a Levite came to that spot and saw him, he passed by on the other side. He wouldn't go near that man. But when a Samaritan... On a journey came upon him, he looked at him and he had compassion. He went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine. Then he put him in his own animal, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Take care of him, he said, and on my return I will pay you for any additional expense. Which of these three do you think was the neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The one who showed mercy, replied the expert in the law. Then Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. You know, there's several things that we see in this. And we teach this in Bible school and in in Bible school, in in, um, Sunday school. And we learn this and we're just like, okay, that means we're just supposed to help people. But 
there's, there, there's a paradox inside of this story that hopefully Jesus was trying to point out to not only to that man, but to everybody who was in the crowd. You see, you, do you know the reason why the Levite and, and the priest didn't stop and help that man on the side of the road? Do, do you think they were just afraid to get involved? I always thought as a kid that they were just too busy. You know, they were just too, ah, I don't want to deal with him. I don't really know him. I'm not going to help him. But there's more to it than that. You see that guy that was on the side of the road, he wasn't a Jew. And the law says, yeah, we're supposed to help our neighbors. But the law, the old covenant also said, don't have anything to do with Gentiles. They're unclean. That priest walked around that guy because that guy was unclean. Not because he was busy or he had some place to go. So how can you do it? How can you love your neighbor who's lying on the side of the road, but at the same time keep the law that says you can't touch that guy? Yeah, that's the impossibility of the old covenant. That's the law-based mentality. And when we're under that, we, it's, it's a paradox. We can't keep it. It's impossible. I'm not sure if this guy, this lawyer guy, caught that meaning. But that's certainly implicit in this story. But Jesus tells him, you don't have to worry about the rest of the commandments if you can fulfill these two. But that's the problem, isn't it? Fulfilling these two is really hard. Let's say the guy, he's a lawyer, he's an expert in the law, so he's able to remember all the things that are in the law, right, the law. Not, not in the legal system, as it were, but in the law of, uh, of Moses, in the Mosaic law. He knows all the things. There's like 271 ceremonial laws. That's the truth. You go through Leviticus, you can see him in there. There's some crazy stuff in there, including the thing about bacon. They're there, right? He knows them all. He knows to keep every single one of them. But he knows that they all boil down to these two things. So let's give him that. Let's say, okay, let's say that you are always able to love the Lord uh, God all the time with all your soul, all your strength, all your mind. Do I think he did that? No, but let's give that one to him. Okay? Do you think he always loved his neighbor as himself? No way. How do we know that? Because he couldn't love the Gentile. Because he wasn't like him. And let's say there was a Gentile living right next door to him, which was very possible, given that where this, this story is taking place. He couldn't love his neighbor, his literal neighbor, because his neighbor was unclean. That's the impossibility of the law. And that's why we should be so thankful we're not under the law anymore. The law leads to crazy stuff like what happened in Orlando this morning. Okay? We can sit here and argue whether or not Islam is a, 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 a religion of peace. Let's say it is. Let's say for, for arguments, Islam is a religion of peace. But the problem is Islam and Judaism, and Hinduism, and all these things are also a religion of the law. And when you live under the law, you will not love your neighbor as yourself. 
Because there's a good possibility that your neighbor does not believe the same things you do. And the law calls these people unclean. Apostates. Infidels. It will lead in some people's minds, as we've seen all around the world, to justification under the law of killing people just because they're not like you. It's happened in our own uh, history as Christianity. When, when, when we've decided that we were going to have grace, plus we're going to put all these other laws on top. Despite the fact that from the beginning we've been trying to tell people no, and we're going to look and see what even during the first century church, don't add anything to it. In our own history, we've, we've decided to do that. We've done that. And that's where we lead to things like the Inquisition and the Crusades. We justify these things because the law starts to creep back into it. We're not under the law. We're under the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what we're under. And you're right. <clears throat> Even with these two commandments, we can't do it without the strength of Jesus Christ. We can't keep it. Paul says over and over and over and over, hey, I'm not only an expert in the law, but I'm a Christian now, and I know that I'm supposed to be doing the right thing, and I can't do it. I just can't do it all the time. I can't do it. The only time I can do it is when I'm walking in the Spirit. What's that mean? That means that you got your eye focused on God. You're asking Him to dwell inside of you. You're thinking about Him. You're loving Him. You understand, if you could just love Him with all your strength and all your mind and all your body and all your soul, and while you're engaged in that, guess what? All those other things fall into place. You do the right thing. You make the right decisions. You don't walk into a nightclub and shoot 50 people. That does not happen when you're walking in the Spirit. That only happens when you live and you try to justify yourself by some uh, uh, exterior measure like the law. So if you want to be a good person, know that you can't be by yourself. Just realize that. Wake up every day and go, I'm not a good person by myself, but I'm slowly being sanctified. And I want that process to go on, Lord. Live inside of me today as I make each and every decision. But flash forward, how did we get to here? How did we get from the Old Testament when it would seem to be the story so far, this promised plan seems to have been all about the Jews. Now all of a sudden it seems to be all about the Gentiles. Or does it seem to be about everybody? Well, I want to point out a little, quick little story um, that, that, that just passes by really fast. I've read it a million times, never understood what they were talking about. It's about a guy named Simeon. Second chapter of Luke. You can read along, I have it up here. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout. And he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Not Je he didn't know it was Jesus at the time. He just knew that there was a Messiah who had promised. He's getting up there in age, but the Holy Spirit told him, don't worry, you won't die before you see the Messiah. Before you see the one we've been talking about for centuries, you will not die. So he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents, Jesus, uh, Joseph and Mary, <clears throat> brought in the child Jesus to him, 
to do according to the custom of the law, circumcision. He took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation. That you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory to your people of Israel. So you can just kind of see this old guy kind of prowling around the temple, waiting for something to happen. And the Holy Spirit's on him. Jesus, Jesus' parents come in with Jesus. He's all wrapped in his arms. And God tells him, that's the one. That's the one. But he probably didn't understand exactly what it meant by saying a light unto the Gentiles. Even though he had read it, right, in the Old Testament. So if you look in the Old Testament, what does it say here in Isaiah 42, 6? I, the Lord, have called you righteous. He's talking about Jesus Hundreds of years before Jesus was born. I will take, your, I'll take hold of your hand and I will keep you and I will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles. Again, just a few chapters later. It is too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those in Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. So why was it why was it that so many of the Jews were still rejecting the Gentiles when they had this, right? When, when they had this, they saw this, they knew this. They were still rejecting it. Paul says, after he's got done, he's been trying to preach the gospel to the Jews first. He said, we now turn to the Gentiles. For this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you a light unto the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and honored that the word of the Lord and all who were appointed for eternal life believed. They believed. But why didn't the Jews believe it? They had it in their testament. They had it in the Old Testament. My only thought is that Jesus so radically changed the idea of what it meant to be a Messiah. That they just couldn't get their minds wrapped around it. In their old lifestyle, they had been so inculcated in the law that I'm thinking to them what they thought was going to happen was that, and this is probably proved out in some of the stuff we're going to see here in a little bit, they thought that what was going to happen was that everybody who was a Gentile was going to convert to Judaism. That's what they thought. They didn't think that the old covenant and all the laws were going to go away. No, why would, why would that happen? This has always been about us. So everybody has to become like us. They have to follow the law. That's what they thought. And you have to understand, as we saw in that parable of the, of the Good Samaritan, Jews did not like Gentiles. They didn't have anything to do with a Gentile as much as they could. Let's say if, if they bought, and this is the truth, if they bought something from a Gentile, let's say they bought a chair from a Gentile because they couldn't buy one from a Jew anywhere. There were no Jewish carpenters in that town. And so they go and buy a chair from a Gentile. Before they can use it, before they even bring it into the house, they had to wash it ceremonially. They had to wash all the Gentile cooties off of it. Then they could bring it in the house. 
And I don't want to give the Jews just a hard time. Because trust me, Gentiles weren't hanging out with beer, having beers with Jews either. It just wasn't happening. The two didn't get along socially. They kept themselves separate. They called them mongrels, dogs, stray dogs. So they didn't believe that there could be a special plan, a special covenant for the people of the Gentiles unless they became a Jew. And what was the ceremonial way, at least for a man, for showing that you were a Jewish man? Circumcision. Woo, adult circumcision. Yikes. That doesn't sound like a lot of fun. And there's a lot of stories in the Bible about circumcision. There's, there's some crazy ones, in case you missed them in the Old Testament. I mean, there's, uh, there's some crazy stuff that goes on there. But this was the bond. It, it, what Jesus was going to the temple to have done uh, eight days after he was born was to be circumcised. There's a guy there, his name, he's, a, he's called a moil, and he's performing what's called a bris. And that's the ceremonial circumcision that shows that you were from the tribe of Judah. Well, Gentiles didn't have this. And they said, because you don't have this, you don't have any real hope in your lives. The Messiah is not here. There's no chance of salvation. But what God was telling Isaiah and what they missed was when the Messiah came, he was going to change all that. He was going to get rid of the old covenant, guys. We were going to be under the new covenant. And here's an important uh, bit. So if you want to turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 10, there's an important story that really lays this out. Because there wasn't just like a plan B, like Paul's preaching to the Jews, right? To turn to chapter Acts 10. Paul's preaching to the Jews, and they're like, no, we don't want to listen to it. And so Paul's like, fine, I'm changing my mind, calling an audible here. We're going to the Gentiles, bring in the Gentiles. There wasn't a plan B. God's plan, his promised plan all along has has been to bring salvation to the entire world. Story of Cornelius. I'll read it. Just kick back. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion, in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and his family were devout and God-fearing, but not Jews. And he gave generously to all those in need and prayed for God to God regularly. One day, about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came and said to him, Cornelius! Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. And when the angel had spoke to him and gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier, who was one of his attendants. And he told them everything that had happened, and he sent them off to Joppa. Peter's vision. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray, and he became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to the earth by four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. And then the voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. This vision that Peter was receiving, and whether he or not he understood it at the time, we find out that he didn't completely understand it, was telling us that the old ceremonial law This burdensome law that included the not eating of tasty things that came from the wonderful animal called the pig. 
was going away. And while Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius to find out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. And they called out asking Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. Well, as Peter was thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, hey, Simon, three men are looking for you. So go up, go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them for you. Peter went down to the men, said, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, we have come from Cornelius, the centurion. He's a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. And the holy angel invited him to ask you to come to his house so he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into his house to be his guests. And then they go to Peter's house or to Cornelius's house. The next day, Peter started out with the men. And some of the believers went from Joppa. Some of the other non-Jewish believers went out from Joppa. The following day, they arrived at Caesarea. And Cornelius was expecting them and called them together. Called together his relatives and close friends. And as Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. He said, stand up, I'm only a man myself. But while talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people, all these Gentiles. And he said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate or visit with a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? And Cornelius answered three days ago. I was praying at, at this hour in my house at three in the afternoon. And suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me. And he said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayers and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send a Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He is a guest at the home of Simon the Tanner who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately. And it was good of you to come. Now we're all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Then Peter began to speak. <laughs> and you could just imagine what was well like up against his heart. And he says, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. But accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ. Who is the Lord to all? You know what has happened throughout the provinces of Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism of John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. And he went around doing all good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. Well, we are witnesses to everything he did in the country of the Jews in Jerusalem. And they killed him by hanging him on a cross. But God raised him from the dead. And on the third day caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all, by all people, but by witnesses who God had already chosen. By us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to all people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness and sin through his name. And while Peter was speaking this word. The Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. You had all these people over here who were circumcised, who were Jews. And then you had this big crowd of people at Cornelius' house who weren't Jews, who had yet to be circumcised. And the circumcisers believed who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they had heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, surely no one 
can stand in the way of being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Such an amazing story. So much happens in that story. It should be crystal clear to the people in that who read this story, even to the Jews who hear the story, the Jews who were there at that time, that Jesus Christ came to die for each and every one of us, that Jesus Christ has pointed out the obvious, that we are all sinners, even those of us under the law are sinners. Paul says, as you were, as, as for you, you were dead in transgressions and sins. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings and sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, all of us were by nature objects of wrath. That's why Jesus Christ had to come. There was this Bible professor teaching on this very topic one day in the mystery that God would choose to save the Gentiles after, you know, being all about the Jews for so long. So there was a lot of discussion. People were going back and forth about it. But when the discussion was finished, (coughs) the professor said, I'm not amazed at all that God planned to save the Gentiles. What puzzles me is why he chose to save me. And if you don't understand, if you don't really get that in your heart, that Jesus Christ came to die for all of us, even our enemies, even the people we hate, even the people who aren't Christians, even, even the people who, who right now at this moment are going around, as Paul did, killing Christians that Jesus Christ came to die for them as well. You have to know that. I know it's tough, but you have to believe it. I know it seems impossible, but that's why you need Jesus Christ. That's why you need to walk in the Spirit, because you're right, it is impossible. I read about this church. This new family came into this church, and it was kind of a button-down type of church. You know, ties and stuff. And so this family comes in, and they don't know. They're just here visiting. They're, they're in a church. They're in a town. They've just moved in here. And, and, and they walk into the church. And one of the kids has a crazy haircut. He's got a mohawk, okay? So people immediately go up to the family, and, you know, there's some ridicule going on. But m- mostly what this family is hearing is, how could you bring your son in with that haircut that's disrespectful to God? So obviously the family didn't come back the next Sunday. Now, do I believe a mohawk is a good haircut? No, I don't think it's a good haircut. I think it's a bad idea. But I also know this. I know that Jesus is more concerned with that young man's soul than he is about his haircut. Now what I'm hoping is that that young man will accept Christ Christ will work inside of him, and uh, his change on the inside will precipitate a change on the outside. <laughs> and I'd, I'd like to gladly report that anybody who, who has seen the drummer Joel, <laughs> just teasing Joel. Joel's known Jesus for a long time, and Jesus said, I had long hair too, Joel. It's okay. Joel's wife got a new haircutting set and decided to test it on him. And he, being the loving husband, said, go ahead, honey, you just go. And now he's got to get his driver's license just to take him. <laughs> but listen, if I'm convinced 
that, uh, that there are some people who aren't acceptable to God because they don't look like me, because they don't act like me, because they don't worship like me, because they don't dress like me, then I'm going to reject them. I'm going to reject them all out of, out of hand. But this very same thing was happening in the first century church, all right? There were a number of Jewish people going around to these churches that had Gentiles in them saying, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute. You can't be saved. You can't go to heaven. You can't be forgiven unless you also get circumcised. You've got to do this too. And if you're reading through Paul's letters, he was tearing his hair out about this. He's like, are you crazy? You don't have to be circumcised. What are you doing? What Jesus did was enough. Okay? But these Jews, there were... They were just not ready to see that Christ came to die for us all. That he saw us all the same way. As he saw us all as sinners in need of salvation. That's the way he saw us. Every one of us, Jew or Gentile alike. But there were these people going into these churches and doing this very same thing. Paul's writing these letters to the church in Colossae. He writes this letter, and this is one of my favorites. So bear with me. To the people in Galatia. <clears throat> Mark my words, Paul says. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourself be circumscri- circumscribed. I can't even say it. It's so painful. If you, <laughs> if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. For in Christ Jesus, the new covenant, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. That's it. There is no law. There is no law. There is nothing we can do in our own power to make ourselves righteous. Nothing. Give up. If you're trying right now, you know how burdensome that can be. You might from time to time get it right, but it doesn't matter. You're not righteous. Even if you got it right 99.9% of the time, that one sin where you got it wrong is enough to separate you from, the, from God. Because God, you have to understand, because God is so amazingly holy, He cannot have anything, no matter how small, no matter how mark a sin so small that is on your soul, He cannot have that near Him. It just can't exist in the same place. That's why Jesus Christ had to come, to clear us completely from that. So that we could enter into His, into his embrace for all of eternity. And Paul was so mad. Turn to Galatians 5 if you don't believe me. Because I actually have the verse right here. Because even a guy who, who knows a lot about the Bible. And who happens to be in my Bible study. I won't mention his name. Joe Bob Howard. Would not believe that this next part was in the Bible. Paul says... For those agitators, for those people who are saying that you need to be circumcised, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. 
told you, Joe Bob. Cut it off. Ouch. Paul was a little peeved. He'd had it. You don't have to do anything else. We'll go ahead and round up with this. Guys, you can come on up now. Guys and gals, as you say, the band. Back in the 1800s, uh, you may or not, may not know this, churches had the habit. They would vote who could become members of their congregation. And if they didn't want you, you didn't get in. So they're having this one service, right? Um, and there was this invitation given at the end of the sermon, an altar call, where everybody who wished to turn their lives over to Christ and be forgiven should come down front. And one of the first persons to walk down that aisle and give her life to Christ was a well-known prostitute in the town. But in the silence that follows, it became obvious that the congregation wasn't open to voting her into their fellowship. Finally, a leading member of the congregation, a fellow by the name of Samuel Colgate, arose and said, I, I guess we blundered. When we prayed that the Lord would save sinners, we forgot to specify what kind of sinners. We'd better ask him to forgive us for this oversight. The Holy Spirit has touched this woman and made her truly repentant, but the Lord apparently doesn't understand that she's not the type we want him to rescue. We better spell it out for him, just the kind of sinners we had in mind. And that's what happens if we don't get it into our hearts that Jesus Christ came to die for the entire world. And that has been the promised plan all along. There were no Jews in the first chunk of the Bible. And yet he wanted to save all of them. We knew that he used the Jews as a, as, as a chosen people, as a nation, to get us to this, this point where the Messiah would return so that the rest of the law could be fulfilled and that the new covenant could come into meaning and that Jesus Christ could go and do what he did on the cross for the entire world, for the guy with the haircut, for the person who doesn't think like you, for bacon, for the prostitute, for the hurting. There's probably some of you out there right now, I don't doubt it, and there's maybe people watching at home I don't think that they're worthy. And you're right, you're not worthy. I'll just tell you that from the outset. But guess what? Neither were any of us. But what we finally did was said, hey, we're going to accept this thing. It's a free gift of grace. And guess what? It's not only going to help me live a better life right now, it's going to help me live an eternal life. I'm going to come to know Jesus Christ. I'm going to be able to lay down that old heavy burden and I'm going to have him next to me carrying this new burden, which isn't really a burden at all. It's life. Yeah, it goes on. But what a life with Jesus Christ by your side. What a life. Let's pray. Let's pray during this month of Ramadan, especially the holiest month in the Muslim calendar. Let's pray for them to finally open their eyes. You see, because they, they, they revere Jesus Christ. They revere much of the Old Testament that we do. They've got so much of it right. But they're stuck 
in the law. And until they're ready to, ready to put down that heavy burden that is the law and accept Jesus Christ, there's no hope. But a big chunk of the world, a billion people, need our help. They need us to treat them and love them as our neighbors, and they need our prayer right now. So let's pray for them. Heavenly Father, your promised plan was to save the entire world. Right now there's about six, seven billion of us. And most of us aren't Christians. But all of us are sinners. And all of us are your children. You are the creator of every single person who has ever lived, ever will live, and is living right now. And your plan was to save every one of us, to bring every single one of us into reconciliation for you, with you. What we ask now, Lord, is that you will help clear away anything that's keeping anyone, anyone in this room, anyone we know, anyone in this family, anyone in this world from coming into a relationship with you. And we pray for you, Lord, to give us the strength this week, this month, for the rest of our lives to be able to, to love our neighbors as you loved us on the cross. And if there's anybody in this room, Lord, right now who needs to lay down their burden and accept that free gift of grace and be forgiven, to be washed clean, to be accepted into your family, we pray for them to do that, to stop waiting for that to come down front here and pray with our prayer warriors to accept Jesus Christ, to go on to be baptized. We pray this, and we pray for all things in your holy name. Amen.